all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. Hello again, Crime Sound listeners. Welcome back to another true crime episode. We're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky, and we're here today with a developing case that just happened last month. If this is your first time, welcome. Before we begin, we would like to give a shout out to our amazing listeners and supporters on Patreon. We have three new patrons this week, Amanda, Ella, and Christopher. We thank you for your support from the bottom of our hearts. If you would like to help support us, share Crime Salad with a friend and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us now. Before we begin, here's a message from our friends from Resolved Mysteries, a cool podcast with a unique twist. Hi, we're Eliza, Allison, and Carlin, and we're the hosts of Resolved Mysteries Podcast. Our podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack. We have a love for true crime and the unsolved. If you don't remember Unsolved Mysteries, we forgive you, but you don't have to know to get into our show. If you like true crime stuff, ghost stuff, alien stuff, or just stories about weird shit like Bigfoot, this is your podcast. The stories we cover range from totally ridiculous to truly heartbreaking. We do detailed research on all of the segments that Unsolved Mysteries aired, then drink some wine and give you the latest updates on every case. We talk about stories that will leave you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolved Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. These days, you can never really trust anyone. And according to this case, sometimes that goes as far as not being able to even trust your own family. Five-year-old Elizabeth Shelley has gone missing from her home in Logan, Utah, just last month on Saturday morning, May 25, 2019. The 911 call you're about to hear is absolutely chilling. The sound of fear in the stepfather's voice unsure and unaware of where she may be is so heart-wrenching. Okay, what's the problem there? My daughter is missing. Okay, how old is she? She's five. Okay, what's her name? Elizabeth Shelley. What's she wearing? Last night when she went to bed, she was wearing a red tank top and blue jeans. What time did you last year? Last night when I went to bed. What time? I went to bed at, I don't know, like 1 or 2 in the morning, probably. Okay. Okay. Any idea where she might have gone? Any family members nearby? Her, her, her uncle, her mom's brother slept over. He's gone too, but his skateboard sits there, but... We woke up and the front door's wide open and we can't find Okay. What's the uncle's name this day tonight? Alex. Okay. Do you know where he went? Cat is still here. I have no idea. Okay. He just woke up and gone. And I don't know what to do. Okay. 
I'm just going to keep asking you questions. I've got officers headed that way, okay? I just need you to answer my questions as accurately as possible so we can get you the best help, okay? Okay. All right. What time did you um, did you just wake up and find her missing? Uh, like ten minutes ago. Okay. In the house in the yard. All right. And what's Alex's last name? Whipple. Spell it for me. W H I P P L E. Okay. Have you checked all of the closets and under the beds and everything? Make sure she's not hiding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He mentions the uncle. Alex Whipple, age 21, who was last seen with Elizabeth. Alex spent the night at the house and slept on the couch, but he's also missing. He left behind his cell phone, skateboard, and left the front door wide open. What happened? The night before, the parents said that they were drinking and playing video games with Alex, Jessica's younger brother. In the call, the stepdad says he checks on Elizabeth around 2 a.m., who was sound asleep in her bed. Then the parents went to their bedroom and Alex slept on the couch. It was just another normal night. The mother Jessica and the stepdad Beatrick, who are the parents of Elizabeth Shelley, woke up on Saturday morning around 9 a.m. to get out of bed. They walk over to their daughter's room, expecting to see her still asleep. But her bed is empty and notice that the front door is wide open, which is strange. There's no sign of Elizabeth anywhere, and Alex isn't there either. They check throughout the entire house, thinking maybe she's hiding, checking all of the rooms outside of the house, calling her name, but their five-year-old Elizabeth is gone. She is nowhere to be found. Elizabeth is three feet, six inches tall, with shoulder-length curly brown hair, with bangs and big brown eyes. She's an innocent five-year-old girl with her whole life in front of her. Following the police call, police started searching for Elizabeth right away. They got everyone involved. The police brought in more than 200 law enforcement officers from multiple agencies, including the FBI and their Child Exploitation Task Force, surrounding police departments in the area, Homeland Security, Highway Patrol, and a canine unit to help find Elizabeth and her uncle Alex in any evidence whatsoever. Search crews even searched two semi-trucks that were found full of mulch. About 20 officers concentrated on the city landfill in Logan. Police said it was part of the department's no-stone-left-unturned approach to the search. This was an intensive search. Local neighbors were asked to hand over any surveillance camera and smart doorbell footage that they had. They searched the surrounding neighborhood and came across several pieces of evidence nearby, just a block away from their home connecting both Elizabeth and Alex. These items were located in a heavily wooded area. One of the most telling pieces of evidence found by police was a broken knife covered in blood. And strange enough, on the family's kitchen counter sat a knife block with a missing knife. And the missing one was a perfect match in the same brand and style. Other things that were found in the area was a PVC pipe which was marked with blood. And about 50 yards from those items, investigators recovered what they believe is Elizabeth's skirt that appeared to have been buried under some dirt and bark, and near the skirt was a concrete block, and it was splattered with blood. Alex was found at about 3 p.m. on Saturday walking alone. 
In his possession, police found a baseball bat, a pipe commonly used for narcotics, personal items, and a Pabst Blue Ribbon 24-ounce beer can. As police approached him and asked him for his name, he refused to identify himself. Police eventually had handcuffed Alex and drove him down to the station for questioning. Down at the station, police conduct an interview with Alex, being that he was the first suspect on the case. He began licking his hands, trying to wipe them clean. Police noticed cuts on his dirty fingers, dark-colored blood stains covering his pants. His watch and hoodie were also covered in blood. For one, that's disgusting, and two, okay, he's guilty. When questioned about Elizabeth, he continued to be combative with the police, and his statements were very inconsistent. Police have evidence. He basically left a trail of where he was in the neighborhood, but Alex continued to lie about his whereabouts. Alex initially denied going over to his sister Jessica's house on Friday night. He changed his story several times, stating that the last time he went to his sister's house was two days ago, and then two weeks ago. When he was confronted with the inconsistencies, Alex finally admitted to going over to Jessica's house Friday night. So, is he ever going to tell his side of the story to police, or is he just going to kind of keep drawing this thing out? I mean, he has blood on him, so he's got to at least explain that, right? I completely agree. I didn't find anything on what he said about the blood, but that's a good point. And as far as his side of the story... Alex said he drank a beer at Jessica's house and later left the residence to go on a walk because he could tell his sister and her boyfriend were about to get intimate. He told police he didn't want to hear anything, so he went on a walk to enjoy the scenery just before sunrise. So I think the problem here is that, you know, his sister went to bed around 2 a.m., right? So did he plan on taking like a five-hour walk until sunrise? That just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, at this point, a lot of things Alex is telling police does not make sense. He even claims he never saw Elizabeth while he was at her house. And when police asked why he left his cell phone and the door wide open when he left, he simply just told police he didn't need his personal items. Court documents state Alex never denied or admitted to being involved in Elizabeth's disappearance. He told investigators about how cruel the world is, his struggles as a child, and how his family treated him horribly. Several hours after Elizabeth went missing, Elizabeth's father mentions Alex on social media. He said he didn't believe he was capable of harming Elizabeth. So what was the point of the social media post anyways? Was this post trying to defend Alex? Uh, I just don't really get it. Well, if you remember the police call, I kind of always felt Beatrick was suspicious of Alex from the start. And at this point, it probably just feels surreal, and he doesn't want to believe that Alex could have been involved. Alex tells police he was drinking and mentioned that sometimes when he drinks alcohol, it makes him black out. And sometimes he does criminal things and doesn't remember it. Although, when police asked for details about these events, he didn't want to elaborate on what those criminal things were. Wait, so what does he mean by criminal things? Is this basically a confession? So, I feel like this was Alex kind of mentioning his past trouble with the law, but just doesn't want to incriminate himself. Yeah, I think that could be, but what if he does remember, and he's just kind of using this whole blackout thing as an excuse for not remembering? I mean, by saying that he doesn't remember, it's kind of easier this way. 
I mean, he doesn't have to give a proper alibi or really explain what he was doing that night at all. Yeah, it really could be that. However, some people believe he may not be mentally stable enough to think ahead like that. We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime salad. With the evidence found during the day's search and the interview with Alex done on the same day Elizabeth went missing, police were feeling more and more suspicious towards Alex. Several search warrants were obtained, and at this point, the whole day goes by. Search crews don't find Elizabeth anywhere after search crews took 15-hour shifts, searching buildings, outhouses, garbage cans, just anything and everything. So just to give you a little bit of a background on Alex and his brief but alarming criminal record, Alex is a convicted felon who was sentenced to prison after engaging in a police pursuit in a stolen truck while intoxicated in 2017. His prison sentence was suspended and he was placed on probation for five years. An FTA warrant was issued on April 29th because he failed to comply with his probation. In 2016, Alex was convicted of assaulting his roommate in an incident of domestic violence. His roommate was his stepbrother. It was all because Alex wanted to use his phone but he wouldn't let him use it. He aggressively punched him in the face and stomach, yelling and punching the wall before he fled out of the house on foot. That same year, Alex was arrested after police said he stole his neighbor's car and drove under the influence of alcohol. A 40-mile chase ended when Utah Highway Patrol spiked the tires of his car. Alex was sentenced to prison in March of 2018, But his term was suspended, and he was instead ordered to serve 180 days in jail and five years of probation. Alex talked about the evil in the world, and he claimed his family treated him horribly throughout his life. So on top of this criminal background that Alex has, he's now the primary suspect in his niece's disappearance. And on Tuesday, just days after Elizabeth goes missing, he appears in court concerning a few criminal charges unrelated to Elizabeth's case. The next day, the charges relating to Elizabeth's disappearance were filed against Alex. These included one count of aggregated murder, child kidnapping, abuse or desecration of a human body, and two counts of obstruction of justice. And even though Elizabeth has not been found, The evidence against Alex is strong and telling. The evidence obtained from Alex and the suspicious blood-covered items found at the suspected crime scene were tested at the station. 
After testing was complete, the results were conclusive. So you're telling me he has her DNA on him, her dried blood on his pants, and the knife that they found in the yard has her blood? I mean, I honestly wasn't suspecting anything different from what I researched, but this little girl is his niece. And after the evidence was tested, they confirmed that his fingerprints were on the knife. And everything that Alex is saying at this point is just not adding up. And what about the PVC pipe which was found during the search? Yeah, so the blood on the PVC pipe was in fact Elizabeth's blood. And the PVC pipe also revealed Alex's partial handprint. Traditional DNA testing takes weeks, and sometimes even months, yet the Logan police were able to test evidence and receive conclusive answers within hours, thanks to relatively new technology called rapid DNA testing. Which, unlike traditional DNA analysis, this new technology can produce results in about 90 to 115 minutes, which is insane. This is basically the future of DNA testing. Rapid DNA can help law enforcement identify a suspect soon after finding evidence. For cases like this, this is truly amazing because you only have just 48 hours of a window. I feel like this is an ad, but it's not a paid advertisement. This technology is just amazing. The Utah Attorney General's office, where the testing was done, now owns two rapid DNA testing machines. So the department's update on the investigation came several hours after her father defended Alex on social media, saying he didn't believe that he was capable of harming Elizabeth. After using those machines to test the evidence, the Logan police were able to quickly match the recovered DNA to Alex, who was subsequently charged with capital murder. Public defender Shannon Demler is one of the few people who has been able to speak with Alex. Alex made it a challenge for everyone involved as they were trying to get him to confess or get any accurate information, really. Because of this, he was being bribed, convincing him to tell where Elizabeth's body was located. With hours in of trying to get anything from Alex, finally he broke. But it took some work. Shannon, his attorney, talked to Alex about what he thought would be the appropriate action to take as far as the murder charges, keeping in mind that this was his own niece that was murdered, and his own family is devastated for the loss of their little five-year-old girl and the hours the community was putting in finding Elizabeth. This is when Alex agreed to tell Shannon where Elizabeth's body was However, only if prosecutors promise not to seek the death penalty in his case. After speaking with the prosecutors and police, they were willing to negotiate the agreed term. Alex explained that his main focus was trying to bring closure for his family and to the searchers that have been unable to locate the girl's body for five days. His attorney noticed during the past several days Alex has become very regretful and emotional, even remorseful, as he realizes what he did. Alex remains in jail after a judge on Tuesday ordered that he be held without bail. In addition to the murder charges, he is suspected of child kidnapping, a second-degree felony, two counts of obstructing justice and the abuse and desecration of a body, a third-degree felony. He would face up to life in prison if convicted. So at this age of 21, that's a good amount of time in jail for something so horrible. 
Some people who have been keeping up with this case feel that it's better than the death penalty. You know what, now that we're talking about charges, it kind of makes me wonder, the teal skirt that she was wearing that was found underneath the, the dirt and the mulch, I hate to bring it up, but do you think maybe this was associated with rape? It could be. And I think a lot of people are actually wondering the same thing. I mean, we still don't really have any type of motive at all, and I guess it would make sense. Also, I don't really see any other reason her skirt would be ripped off of her body. I don't know. It's just weird. And not to get off topic too much, but how did you get her out of the house without her making a sound or waking anyone up? The door was left wide open. It kind of makes me think he carried her out or maybe she was still asleep. But anyway... So five days have gone by since Elizabeth went missing, and the search continues. Finally, Alex agrees to give up valuable information, especially now that the death penalty is off the table. Everyone who had hoped that Elizabeth could still be alive at this point were left with bad news. Alex agreed with his attorney, Shannon. He pointed to a map to a location which was a wooded area close to her home, and surprisingly, already searched. Around 2 p.m. on Wednesday, they followed the location on the map and discovered little Elizabeth's dirt-covered body behind a shed, covered in dirt, sticks, and debris. This was the same area that the bloody knife was found and the PVC pipe that Elizabeth's blood was on. The body was right under their nose this whole time. His grandfather Bill spoke of Alex's background which he believes is a huge part in why he would do something like this. He told the media that he never thought in a million years he was capable of harming such a cute little girl. He knew he was a thief, but he never thought he would label him a murderer. Jessica didn't see her younger brother often, but decided to help him a few weeks before the murder of Elizabeth. She drove 30 minutes away to Brigham City, to pick him up and bring him back to her place in Logan, Utah. The grandfather said Alex had a difficult childhood, but had never showed violent tendencies. However, looking at the big picture, he believes that he had a motive and wanted to hurt the whole family. The whole family knew that Alex was a very troubled young man, but from day one, he never really had a fair go at life. Alex's mother abandoned him at age five and then disappeared for a number of years, and he never really got over that. Alex was in and out of foster homes his whole childhood and would never stay in them for long. He was always running away and always on the run. His grandfather tried to get him help a few times. He tried to get him counseling and get him back on track, but Alex wanted nothing to do with this. So what his grandfather is saying seems to be pretty accurate as far as a motive goes. I mean, it just kind of makes sense, I guess. Do you think that maybe he was jealous of the little girl because, you know, he didn't have a childhood like that? It could have been just, a, you know, some anger that built up over time, uh, you know, something to get revenge over his whole family. Like, why was he in foster care when, I mean, his grandfather could have even taken care of him? I mean, maybe it was just like a mix of drugs and alcohol and, and rage that was built up over time, but that's still no excuse to take it out purely on an innocent five-year-old girl who definitely didn't deserve it. The mother of five-year-old Elizabeth 
speaks of her beautiful daughter with colorful words that make me wish I was able to meet her daughter. The death of Elizabeth really got to everyone's heart. She explains how Elizabeth never could pick just one favorite color and decided that her favorite color was rainbow. She always dreamed of growing wings and flying to her own special rainbow. On Tuesday, June 4th, just yesterday, if you're listening to this episode when it was released, was Elizabeth's funeral. On this day, there was no mention of the tragic way Elizabeth died. Her mother and others shared their memories about a loving person whose fascination with nature often led to giving gifts of interesting rocks, sticks, or flowers to those around her. The little white casket holding Elizabeth, carried by loving family members, said the words, Live like Lizzie on the side. Our hearts go out to her family and everyone involved. If you're interested in learning more about this case, you can find pictures on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, which helps us keep our salad bowls filled. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad. Thank you all again so much for listening. We'll see you again. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain.